Join me in Ephesians 2 as we get started. Now, as we get started, you're getting your paper, you're getting your Bible opened. If you need to go get a book, get a book. Let's just uh, get our brains working so that we're, we're out of that slumber of not talking. Name something that grows faster than what you want it to. Weeds, what, children, bills. You get bills that are growing. What's that? Your waistline. Oh, 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 oh. Anything else that you can think of? Here we go. Cost of living. Debts and expenses. There you go. Nails. They said your belly or weight. I'm with them on that one. They said kids or babies grow faster. Lawns and weeds. And number one, this is not a problem for me. Hair. Hair. Hair is number one. Okay. They said this. Name something that might get spoiled. Milk is going to be up there. Meat is going to be up there. Kids are going to be up there. You got this all covered. Pets are up there. Okay, you're, you're missing one here. A party surprise might get spoiled. Pets get spoiled. Wives. Wives get spoiled. Okay, okay, I changed what was there. Okay, I, I changed it slightly. It said spouses, but I just assumed there. Kids, meats, foods, and milk and juices was number one. Name something hard to do with your eyes kept open. Sneeze is up there. Sleep is up there. Swim is up there. What's that? With your, keeping your eyes, oh, you, you drive with your eyes shut? Uh, I've seen you drive, it's true. Yeah, there, yeah. Got anything else? Okay. Prey isn't going to be up there, okay? Here's what they said. For kids getting their hair washed, keeping their eyes open, swimming, kissing, I don't know, you can kiss with your eyes open, right? Oh, you kept your eyes open. Sneeze and sleep. Okay, this is, this is difficult. This is not based on number survey. This is just based on general studies that are done about people in churches. And people saying it's difficult in church, da-da-da-da-da. So there's no real uh, specific one through seven, but generally these are the comments people made. Something hard to do at church. Slow pastor down. Slow pastor down. I want to speed up. I want to get through everything. That is not up there. I guarantee. Stay awake. You, not you. I know, Kevin, never you. But, but that's going to be up there. Uh, that's not up there. Okay. Focusing uh, is kind of up there, yes. Name some that people generally, in the in general population, think it's hard to do when you go to church. Stay awake is up there. What's that? Uh, lose your seat. Okay, okay. It's good. There's there's a relationship and there's stuff up there that relates to that. Okay. Anything else? Our temperature in this building is perfect because half of you say it's cold, half of you say it's hot, so it's perfect. Here's, this, is, this is general, these are uh, statements that are made in studies that it's hard to greet the individuals, find an empty seat in the back half of the auditorium, okay, um, keeping kids quiet and still. You would think that's true? Okay, okay, sitting through a long sermon. You guys never have that problem, so, you know, that doesn't apply here because I'm usually done in 20 minutes. And in my mind, I'm still 30. So my, my rationale is, is all obscured. Uh, give money, okay, staying awake, and a frequent, frequent statement going to Bible churches by people who visit said, understanding the Bible. Okay, you can understand that, right? If you don't have a Bible familiarity and you come here and you have a Bible in your lap, what would be hard to do? If we're jumping from, from book to book, right? Okay, finding the passages. Um, it's difficult if you have no Bible knowledge and all of a sudden we're telling stories 
that they have no background to. And so with that in mind, one of the reasons that we started this entire study of this area was uh, the Bible says that we're supposed to go and make what? Make disciples. Okay, we're supposed to be reaching people. We're supposed to be teaching people. And so our concern a couple of years back was, how do we do this more effectively? How do we reach people and help people to just get a Bible basic knowledge? And then, so it led to this ministry that we, uh, that we had contact with another church that had been doing it, and we developed some things on our own uh, through it. But it's the idea of, okay, let's focus in on one-on-one. Getting somebody that your friend, your neighbor, that you're focusing, you're praying for, you try to invite them to ministries, but also you try to get them involved in a Bible study. And you're going to take them through a Bible study. Now, the reason that most people don't do that is because most people don't feel comfortable in the sense of, could I answer their questions? What, what Bible study do I do? So we picked up the material saying, here's a good Bible study you could use. And our goal is taking these booklets and making sure that, first of all, you you know this material that is basic Bible doctrine, and then you have the abilities and the knowledge to be able to answer their questions. Not all of them, because all of us get asked questions at time that we're stumped in when it comes to the Bible. And so the idea was let's get you through this Bible study to make sure that you understand basic Bible doctrine and some of these things, and then you are well enough informed that you would feel comfortable be able to take somebody through this booklet and this material that presents the gospel clearly. And so we're taking the time to do it, to go through what's called the Foundations Booklet, uh, and uh, again, if you didn't get a copy, there's copies of the entire booklet in the foyer. Feel free to go and get it and grab it now. Or there are copies of what we're covering this morning down at the bottom of the stairs or outside this door. And go and grab that so you can follow along today. And so we're going through the material. We're taking our time with the goal of making it easy for you to be able to do Bible studies with your kids, with your brothers and sisters, your parents, cousin, your neighbor, a co-worker, somebody that would agree to do a Bible study with you and uh, would eventually lead to you making disciples. So that's the purpose of what we're doing and we're taking our time to going through the material so that you are familiar with it, you understand it. Then what when we start our, our regular adult classes, electives, one of those that we're going to offer in just a few weeks when we start splitting apart again is going to be for those of you who want to go through the material a second time in order to know how to do the Bible study. That'll focus uh, more upon that idea, the practical aspect of doing the Bible study. And so some of the areas of what we're studying so far is we talked about these things. Salvation. Your first chapter is about how come somebody needs to be saved. Uh, chapter, can you ever lose your salvation? Confession of sin. Again, if you're like a lot of people, or if we look back, some of us, when we first got exposed to Bible, like me, I was Roman Catholic and raised Roman Catholic. When they said I need to confess sin, my automatic brain, as even a baby Christian, went to the idea that I need to go to the pastor of the church and confess my sin and started off with, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been so many months since my last confession. And so some people, even when it talks about the idea of prayer, some people need to learn how to pray. Some people need to learn some of, uh, you know, why should I pray? And so the whole booklet is based on the idea of simple Bible exact truths, taking somebody from the very beginning of understanding uh, salvation all the way through where they have a basic working understanding of some of these doctrines. And it's not that we're not getting into all areas of the Holy Spirit. We're not getting into all areas of the local church, but we're skimming the surface of these areas. The topic that we're introducing today, page 166 in the book, or 160, 161 in the book, is sanctification. Big word. Challenging word. Um, a word that gets mixed up. I, I shared with you even in a sermon illustration just a couple weeks ago that um, um, my, one of my granddaughters watching the Olympics, she was practicing her sanctified swimming. Okay? She and her sister were trying to do it in sync with one another. Okay, it's called what? Synchronized swimming, right, okay. But she had heard the term from her parents, sanctified swimming, uh, sanctified, so she assumed that was the idea. Uh, sanctification is not swimming, okay? Though in, in parallel, we often feel like we're drowning in our growth in the Lord. 
and that we're not, we're not making heady headways and we're thrown into a pool of living that sometimes we struggle with. So what we want to do today and this week is talk about what is sanctification and in order to get it straight, we need to really delve into this idea. Different churches teach different things. And if I'm doing this Bible study with somebody who's never been exposed to the Bible much before, if you were doing this Bible study with somebody like me when I first got saved, um, you would want to make sure I understand the idea of where does works and faith, how do they fit together? Okay? Do they fit together? Okay? Because most churches have a variety of thinking. Let, let me well, I'll give you just some basic um, examples of what I'm talking about. There are churches that say we are saved by works. Faith is a part of but mostly works. Is that true? Do you think churches do that? Okay. Is that true? Right, wrong? According to the Bible, is it right or wrong? It's a wrong teaching. Okay, give me a, give me a verse that would tell you that. A lot of you said the Ephesians 2. Uh, yours, are you quoting Titus? Not by the works of righteousness? Okay, so we know that's wrong. So you're talking with this person. You want to make sure they understand, okay, where does faith and works. Some would say this. They would say, we're saved by faith. Works has nothing to do with the Christian life. Why, is, why are some of you saying it's wrong? Okay, is works a part of Christian living? Okay, okay. And you're going to say what verse? Yeah. Faith without... Okay, okay, you got that. Okay, some would say this, our works are vital to keeping us saved. Why do you say false? Okay, there you go. Bob, you're referring to John 10, that we're in the hand of God, okay? And whoever's in the hand of God, no man can. Okay, uh, another passage would be First Peter, we are blanked by the power of God. Kept by the power of God. Okay, um, excellent. Okay, what about this one? We are saved by faith alone, which will result in good works. That is true. That is true. Okay, we know that's true. That's the idea of sanctification. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about sanctification, the idea of good works that, that follow after salvation. In fact, there's passages that kind of hint at this, but it creates, um, Philippians writes, uh, in Philippians, Paul writes, work out your own, that can be confusing to people. You've got to explain. So we want to talk about where does faith and works go? Ephesians 2, you're familiar with verses 8 and 9. Somebody want to say them? For by grace, through faith, not of lest any man should... Okay. Then following it up is this one. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You're, you're, you're talking, you're showing the verse, you've stated very clearly verses 8 and 9 as you got this lesson started. We are not saved by works. Okay? Lest any man should... We are saved by... By yeah, faith and we're, and the grace of God comes. What do you see about works in this verse? What's that? That's a good, that, excellent statement. God has planned for us to do them. Any other thoughts? You have to be in Christ in order to be doing these good works, and being in Christ means you're you're saved, born again. Any other thoughts as you look at it? I think you summarized it real well. I wrote down these things. Salvation is totally a work of God. We are his handiwork. The new creation idea is the same word that uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Same, same word, okay? Uh, the idea of being in Christ. And by the way, just for your information, we are his workmanship. The original word in the original language is we are his poema. What does that sound like to you? Poem, okay. We are his masterpiece. We are his, his you know, artistry, and salvation is truly that. Uh, we are saved unto good works. The, the word, the preposition there is for, 
the idea of to do good works. The idea here is something, as you mentioned, brother, that is something God wants us to do because it's ordained that we should do them, not just once in a while, but the idea of the word for walk in them is to be, okay, living it, okay? How often? Okay, just an ongoing, continuous thing to keep on walking in the good works, not just standing still and not doing them. And so you want to portray that to this individual, and you may have to back up and, uh, and present a little bit. Hey, by the way, John 15. Any of you remember this passage? Turn there, otherwise. This is a really important passage. And again, you're expanding a little bit if you're doing the Bible study to make sure they understand with that concept and how the good works and grace, how it fits together. John 15 is when Jesus is teaching. And remember, this is the passage where he makes in within this uh, passage, he says, I am the vine, you are the Okay, now that's talking about having a relationship with Christ. We understand that. But as I read through, what is he expecting of the disciples? I am the true vine, my father is the farmer or husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are you clean through the word that I have spoken unto you? Abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branch, is he that abides in me and I in him the same brings forth much fruit for without me you can do nothing and he goes on he talks about the idea of discipline if that doesn't happen here in verse 8 herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall you be my disciples whoa okay this passage is talk is is portraying salvation correct you have to be in Christ but what is the focus of this passage Good works via what, what's he used to describe the good works? What's, what's the, the parallel? It's fruit bearing. It's fruit bearing. We're supposed to be fruit bearing. In fact, look at the text. We're supposed to be bearing fruit just once in a while. Why do you say continually? Yeah, he says fruit, more fruit. Much fruit twice. Okay, so what you have in this passage is spiritual life is found in Christ. Every branch, do we catch this? Every branch is to bear fruit. If you don't, what happens? It's cast away. It's cast away. Now, if you're starting to bear fruit, then what might he do to you so you bear more fruit? He prunes, which could, we would understand that as being what? Trials? You know, dis- could be discipline. It's challenges to our lives that we bear more fruit. So God wants us to pr- produce fruit and keep on increasing. We've mentioned that already that you pointed out. Failure to produce fruit results in the discipline, the taking away, uh, even the purging can be there. Fruit bearing is possible for any and all believers having fellowship with Jesus Christ and being in his word. If you abide in me idea, and my word abides in you. Very important passage. There's another one that it's later in the lesson, but I think it's so important to bring up now. Romans 8. Romans 8. Now, you all remember Romans 8, 28. All things work together for to them who are called according to his. What is his purpose? Go to verse 29. Romans 8.29. This passage is so often, um, I'm going to say abused. It is so often abused to, this verse in particular, so often abused to teach an idea that God has in heaven picked Ron to get saved and not his brother. Okay? And they use this next verse, verse 29. To say that God picked you, but he, he chose somebody else not to get saved. I struggle with that thought and that teaching. Because my Bible says, for God so loved the world. I struggle with it because God is not willing that any should perish. Okay, so what does verse 29 teach? It does teach predestination. Predestination is God in the eternity past looked down and he made some determinations concerning you and me. Okay? Some say he determined whether or not we could get saved. That's not what the passage says. 
It doesn't say that God predetermined that we would get saved. It says that God predetermined something else for us. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Look at that. Look at verse 29. Okay? His purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn. Okay, and those that he says, okay, I, I knew in eternity past that I'm working with these individuals, and I understand it this way, who respond to the gospel. I'm working with those individuals who shows that they, every single one of them that responds to the gospel will eventually be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The next verse says, so what did I do? I... He talks about, I called them, I uh, justified them, and I glorified them. So they'd be conformed. And all three are in the past tense. It doesn't mean that he didn't call anybody else to the gospel. For wherever the cross, if the cross be lifted up, I will draw how many men? All men. Okay, but this is talking in particular to Christians who are wondering why they are having difficulties, who earlier they are struggling with their living the Christian life, but he says there is therefore now no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what God has planned for you. God has predestinated that you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now think that through. That's the idea of verse 29 is God has a plan for every single one of us. God's plan is that each and every one of us becomes more and more like Jesus Christ eventually it'll happen when we're totally, when we are taken where? When are we going to really be like Christ in all facets? When we get to heaven. But the struggle is, from the time I'm saved, am, after I'm saved, am I to still becoming like Christ or just wait until the day happens that I go to heaven? Am I supposed to act like Christ now? Uh, are you? Okay, we're supposed to become more and more like Christ. And so the thought is, we're supposed to become more like Christ in words and deeds on a daily basis. Is it easy? No. 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 But this is what God's planned for you. Okay, and the process that is going to eventually be, uh, be fulfilled is at the glorification. Sanctification is what happens... Once you're into his family, you're born again, and this process of growing to be more like Christ, it is the idea of sanctification. Big word, but that's the concept. And so what we talk about this meaning, the word literally means to be set apart. You're setting something apart. Now, in the Hebrew and in the Greek in the New Testament, which you don't need to know, but just so you understand, there's two words that whenever you see like the word holy or the word sanctify, it's one of these words depending upon where you're in the text. Old Testament Hebrew or the Greek. They both have the idea of something that is set apart. It is sanctified. And it is put aside for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to be holy. Or in fact, in the New Testament, wherever it describes the believers and it says you are set apart ones, what did the New Testament writers, what word did they put in there? Saints. It's translated saints. Those who have been set apart. Okay, that's all a saint is. Now, I grew up thinking a saint was those who were canonized and only a few that are in heaven. How many of you have, has God set apart from the world? How many of you has God set apart a purpose for you to become more like Christ? All of us who are born again. That's the idea of what we're talking about with sanctification. Now, sanctification, therefore, has two different aspects to it. There is a positive and a negative. The negative is we stay away from something. The positive is to something. Uh, Chuck, you were, at, you were commenting out here about repentance, Right? You were talking to Pastor Tony this morning. Repentance comes right in here. Repentance means you're headed this way, but what do you do? You turn around and go a different direction. You're turning from and you're turning to. So sanctification has an idea of something that we're going we're gonna to stop, we're going to turn away from, and we're going to turn towards something. So we're separating from sin and we're turning towards God. That's the idea. I want to become more like Christ, more like Christ. Um, let me add to that. Okay, your book says that statement, but let me add to it. It's not always just from sin. Okay, in the Bible there's this concept that sometimes things were sanctified in other words, they're not to be in common usage, everyday usage. They were set apart for special usage. 
Okay? That's the, you, they sanctified certain things. Go back to the Old Testament. Think in your mind. What building was sanctified? The tabernacle. It was set apart for worship and sacrifice only. Was there any people that were sanctified? The priest. Good. The priest. Was there any um, foods that got sanctified? They were set apart. There were certain foods they had to stay away from, certain foods they could use, and among some of the certain foods, some of them had to go to the sacrifice. Yes, no? Is it making sense? Okay. Were certain clothes ever sanctified? The priestly garments were sanctified. Were any days ever sanctified? The feasts were sanctified. The Sabbath was sanctified. They were set apart. So when we talk about something in the Bible being sanctified, it might be, okay, something bad that we want to get away from, or it might be something that we're setting aside. Um, And so that concept comes through. And we mentioned already, even like the tools that were used in the temple, um, the, the furniture, they were set apart. They were sanctified. So it's the concept that is used in, as an illustration in your booklet, which is a great illustration, is about somebody getting married. You're setting yourself apart from, and you're setting yourself apart to. Okay, with that in mind, let's, let's think this through. Who are you separating from when you say, I do? And hopefully, along, along before you say, I do. Okay, who are you separating from? Oh, see how many of you quickly went to parents first, okay? Is there, is there a truth to that? Do we separate from parents when we get married? Okay, in what areas? You never visit them again. You have nothing to do with them again. Okay, what's that? Running the household. Submission, uh, loyalties, focus of energy and time and attention. That gets shifted. Who else should the individual saying, I'm getting married, I should... Okay. Who do you mean by that? No, okay, we're not dating others. Okay, so I put down no dating, okay, right? You get married, and I would hope before you get married, okay, that this happens, that they're saying, okay, I'm done with those relationships, uh, and, and in the future, anything else, family loyalties, and now, what's the four? What's the two? Who do you sanctify to? I think some of you said it. Okay, your spouse and your new family unit. Okay, so that's the idea. And most everybody you're doing this Bible study with, they, they got this illustration. It makes perfect sense to them. Or you could go like this. Do any of you have sanctified dishes? You didn't bless them and put them in holy water. That's not what I mean. Okay. What, what do I mean by sanctified? Special occasion things. So if you have, and, and people don't talk about it like they used to, but when we were first married, China was a big thing. And wedding gifts, if they gave you China, woo! Today, I want gift certificates. Okay, that I can spend wherever. So China was set apart. Now, what do you do? Those of you who had special China, you don't use it when? Every day. You don't tell the kids, grab a bowl of cereal, take the China, and go run through the house. Okay. You don't do that. Okay. There's special silverware. You know, and, and some people, this is not only, not only is it special dishes, but you have to use them in a special way. You ever get to those places, you ever go to a house where they have five forks? You know, three knives? What do you think when you sit down for that? I'm so stupid, I don't know which one I'm supposed to be working with. I have no idea. And the simple rule is, we're from the outside in. I'm too hungry, forget it. Um, So you have those glasses. Have you ever seen sanctified vehicles? You might have ridden in one this morning that only one person can drive it. And when you get in the car, don't you lean your head against the window and put any hairspray on that car window. Or make sure that you keep your feet clean. Seriously, we have people that have done this. They have renovated a vehicle. You ever see some of these old vehicles renovated? 
they take them everywhere, every day, go to work, drive with them. Yes or no? No, what do they do? Keep them in the garage and show them on special occasions. Okay? And so that is what we would say is a sanctified vehicle. It is set apart. And so with that in mind, God says this, this already. Which, what is sanctified here? Okay. God sanctified the Sabbath day one day of the week. One, one day, yeah, God said. What's sanctified here? All the firstborn. There's got to be more to it. There you got it. The firstborn of Israel. Okay? That they were the firstborn of the animals and the Jews, and they had to sanctify them, set them apart, and then there was a redemption that they had to pay in order to take care of that. What's sanctified here? Okay. Okay, you got both Aaron and his garments are sanctified in this verse. Okay. Aaron, and then as the high priest, he's set apart, and his garments are going to help display that. What do you have in this verse? Aaron and his sons. Now, that whole priestly lineage, not just Aaron, but also his sons, and then it's going to be their sons, they were set apart to be the priests. Okay? You got that. What do you have in this verse? This one's a little bit more thought provocative. What did God say set apart? Okay, now it's the entire nation. They're supposed to be as different people from the rest of the nations of the earth, and they were set apart. And so when he talked with them about being sanctified, keep this in mind. He demanded of them to live a certain way. Do you remember, if you want to put it in one word, what did he demand the Jews how to live? Holy. Holy. He demanded holiness from them. Remember how it says in 1 Peter, it says, uh, as I'm, be holy as I am holy, for I am the Lord thy God. That comes from the Old Testament. And it's repeated for us in the New Testament. In fact, here are three verses that talk about that idea, the ones that we just listed. And as you look at these verses where it says, yeah, you shall sanctify yourselves, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Speak unto all the congregational children, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. Sanctify yourselves, be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Question for you. Look at the verses again, okay? Why did God demand and deserve their separation, their sanctification, their holiness? Okay, one is because God is holy, okay, right? Be holy, for I am holy. Okay, is there another reason? It's in the, first, it's in the top verse, towards the end. He brought him out of Egypt. What did he do for him? Give me a single word or two words. He saved them. He saved them. He delivered them. He did the exodus, right? God deserves them, their holiness. Why? Because he redeemed them from bondage. Do you see any parallels? Have we been redeemed from bondage? Yes. Okay. And as the Lord our God, okay, he deserves our holiness. Now, that idea that he says holiness, you want to keep in mind, he gave them some holiness. He made it possible for them to be holy. Know that I'm the one that does sanctify you. Okay, so he's demanding a certain lifestyle, but it's not that he puts them in an impossible situation. He gives them that ability to do so. And so let's do this section. We're talking with that individual who doesn't know much scripture. So far, all of you knew all this material. You know, it just makes perfect sense. But you want to make sure this individual understands the need for holy living. Why is that? Is holy living promoted in our society? Yes? No? No? Do you think it's getting worse? Okay. Do you think that in our society we are becoming more tolerant of evil? Okay. In fact, what is, what's predicted in the New Testament? In the latter days, it's going to get worse. Okay. So you're talking with the individual... And you've got to remember that a lot of individuals, they don't, they don't get bombarded with holy living talk. 
They certainly don't get it in the schools, right? And they probably don't get it in, in a lot of churches anymore. So you're got, you want to explain to them, okay, there's a need for sanctification. There's a need for holy living. And so here, this is for you and me before we go into the material. When we got saved, we got saved from the penalty of sin. Yes or no? Yes, yes. okay. Because the wages of sin is death, but we have been given eternal life. Okay. When we got saved, we were freed from the power of sin. True or false? Can we overcome sin? Yes. yes. Okay. He freed us from the bondage of sin. Okay. When we got saved, were we freed from the presence of sin? Where is sin? Okay. It's all around us. It's in the world. Okay. There's another spot where sin is. What's that? Within us. Within us. Okay. So we're surrounded by temptation, but we still have the old man. Remember what Ephesians 4 says. Put on the new, put off the old. You still got it. You still got it. Okay? When you got saved, did your sin nature disappear? Now, some churches teach this. They teach that you got saved, you never sin ever again. How about you? Did you ever sin since you've been saved? Really? You didn't nod your head. I know the answer. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Do we, do we still struggle with an old man, an old nature? Okay. The old man, by the way, isn't a, dis, dis, uh, a disrespectful term. Okay. It's just the idea of the old sin nature, the flesh that we have within us. At salvation, God gave us a new man. Remember, put on the new man, which is created in Christ Jesus uh, in righteousness and true holiness. And so when you got born, you got born again. Now you've got two different natures within you. Which one wins? Do you remember that old Indian, that story about that old Indian? You've heard it multiple times. I've, I've probably heard it you know, every, every time I was in revival meetings. Okay? That Indian's talking about he has an old dog and a new dog within him, and they're constantly fighting, and the guy said, well, which one wins? The one I feed the most, which is a truism. That's exactly how it works. Okay, so we have two natures. We already mentioned that are odds within us. So this is giving, bringing us to the point that says, oh, okay, we need some sanctification. Now, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says this, the heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately wicked. What does that tell you about your heart? It's sinful. I mean, this isn't, this isn't profound. This is very simple. You're trying to get that individual to just understand that they're readmitting the idea we are sinners and we have a bent towards sin. Okay? Um, how does that idea stack up to common teaching in America? Okay, okay let, me, let me give you an illustration of theology, how theology plays into politics. We don't need police, we don't need police anymore because people are, people are basically good. We don't need to have restrictions. Those restrictions are making people do bad things. It's like saying, don't touch the wet paint. What do people do? They touch the wet paint. So by having police, we're encouraging evil. So the answer is get rid of the police. Okay? And you and I go, where is your brain? But it comes back to understanding Bible truth. People by nature are wicked. We're sinful. By nature, people will hurt people. By nature, okay? And some of it is suppressed. Praise God, it's suppressed by outer, outer restrictions. Don't hit your brother or else. You know, don't take things or else. And that's good. And we learn to suppress some of those things. But some of those inner thoughts, they're hard to suppress. You know, the anger 
the, the revenge factor, which we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. David had such a battle with it. Okay, so we know that, that according to Jeremiah, you know, we're, we're surrounded by sinners. What's the problem in a church? It's got sinners in it, including... Oh, that's so nice. I thought you were all going to say you. Okay, we're all sinners. And so we have this problem that's going on. So the question is asked in the notes, are Christians basically good? I think, and I've rephrased to try to clarify and make sure, once saved, are you now inherently good and do good all the time? No? No? Okay. We are declared good. Yes, no? God has declared legally our sins are forgiven. No condemnation. That is the legal, the heavenly declaration. We're forgiven. But we day after day. Would you agree with that? Okay. Deb, you agree with this? Yes. We just had this discussion on how you should do better, right? But I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm perfect. <laughs> We're having another discussion. <laughs> yeah. Romans 3. Okay, if you turn to Romans 3, this is a passage. Hey, you guys, are you there? Are you close by? Romans 3. Romans 3 makes this comment. We didn't have church last Sunday night, did we? No. Who knows how to check the, the things? I think I left the AC off. Tony, check these thermostats in here. I turned them on throughout the whole building, but I think I forgot the auditorium. Whew. Is anybody else getting warm? It's getting stuffy in here? All the hot air? Okay. Romans 3. Okay. Romans, don't say it. Don't say it. Be sanctified. Okay, be sanctified this morning. Okay, Romans 3 is describing people's general nature. He says, as it is written, there is none. No, not one. Okay, he's going to make it emphatic. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Let me just stop and pause for a second. Do bad people do good? Yes. Yeah, on a, on a human level, they do good, yes? Okay. Okay, but on a spiritual level of saying, okay, on a spiritual frame of can they, can they please God? No, no, not until we're, we're redeemed, okay? Because all of our works are as filthy rags. Okay, their throat is an open sepulcher, their tongues used for deceit. So what happens is our mouths reveal what's in our... Okay, you got that. Jesus taught that very clearly. Whose mouth is full of cursing bitterness, their feet uh, swift to shed blood, destruction. There is no fear of God in them. So he's described. And according to this passage, he's describing your old nature. Your old nature. Uh, give, a, give, give a simple. How would you answer this? How are you describing this passage? Sinful? Not righteous? Any other thoughts? Evil? corrupt. There is in theology, and it shows up in some, they use a word in theology to describe that people are basically bent towards wickedness, depravity, or depraved. Okay, you're going to see that a lot of your commentaries in different theological books. So you, you may even want to put that in here and explain that that's going to show up a lot. In fact, you're going to hear that term in sermons, things like that. You're explaining to these people how to get it together. So you have whatever, however you want to phrase this. Now let's take a step further. We aren't basically good by nature. We still have a battle. And Paul describes his battle in Romans 7 that you and I can relate to. Flip over there. This is, this is such, I am so glad this passage is in Scripture. I am so glad because it makes me feel normal. Otherwise, I feel absolutely depraved all the time. Paul says this in Romans 7. Uh, let's go down to verse 15. For that which I do, I don't want to do. What I would, that, that I do not. What I hate, that I do. 
If then I do that which I don't want to do, I consent unto the law that it is good, but then it is no more I that does it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know in me dwells no good, excuse me, no good thing. For to want to, to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I struggle with, I find not. For the good things that I would, I don't do. But he says in verse 19, but the evil which I don't want to do, I do those things, okay? Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I, but it's the sin that dwells in me, okay? Now, this, this is critical. Paul is saying that as the Apostle Paul, he still struggles with, with doing bad things and not doing all the good things. Can anybody in this room relate to that? Yes, no? Okay, how long was Paul saved? This is really important just for you to know. Was Paul a baby Christian when he wrote these verses? He's been saved about 25 years, okay? He's been saved 25 years, and he still struggles. Has he done anything good for the Lord in those 25, 30 years? Like what? He started churches. Can you think of anything else? Missionary things. Wrote scripture. He's inspired of God, used of God, and yet what does he say? After this 25, 30 years of being saved, I still struggle. After doing all these things for God, I still struggle. Now do you see why I say I'm so thankful these verses are there? Because that's where I'm at. That's where Deb's at. Amen. Yes. Okay. That's where all of us who are born again, that's where we're all at. Okay. He says in this passage that in me, in me, he says there's still evil. In me, I have a tendency to still do bad, even though I don't want to. I still, he's, and he concludes, this is really, now this is the passage that just, watch it flow. It says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sinful things? Next verse. I thank God through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but I still struggle with the flesh. But keep this in mind. There is, therefore, no condemnation. Wow. Anybody else say amen, amen, amen? Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. This way is he gives us hope. Um, Jim Berg, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the book we used in Sunday school. Um, anybody remember? Conformed into his image right? Is that what you said? Okay, thank you. Um, He talks about the idea your flesh will deceive you. We talked about that. Your flesh is going to defile you. We understand that, especially in in Galatians, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. He goes on and talks about that. And in the previous verses, you may want to keep this note, he talks about the need for the walking in the Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit, or you're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And uh, so that's very important. You and I need to walk in the Spirit, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. The flesh will destroy you. Now, then he refers to Galatians chapter 6. Many of you remember, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also... Okay, walk them through this. Walk the individual through this passage. Okay? Walk them through this thought. The thought is, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in... That's the context. That's the verses. Tell me the laws of the harvest based on that. The laws are... We've already said one of them very simply. We reap... Okay, that's, that's, that's a truism. Take it now, think it through a little bit more. Can you think of another law of reaping and sowing? You reap more than what you sow. Thank you. Excellent. You reap in a different season. Now, that's an important truth. Because a lot of people think, as long as I'm getting away with something, it's okay, but it's going to catch up to you. We're going to see that in David's life in a few minutes. Can you think of any other laws of the harvest? You reap in the same kind of what you sow. If you reap good, you're going to sow, uh, sorry, 
If you sow good, you're going to reap good. Righteous, remember in this text he says, whether it be evil or whether it be good, righteousness. Okay, you mentioned we reap more, we reap in a different season. Can I, uh, can I expand this a little bit more? Okay. What can you do about what you're reaping today? Yeah, you really can't change today's harvest. You, know, you can be forgiven, but you still may harvest it, right? You can't change today's harvest, but you can change tomorrow's harvest by changing what you sow today. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, we can't change what we've sown, but we can change what we do. By the way, you're going to deal with some people in Bible studies. They are reaping a mess. They could have a mess in their marriage. They could have a mess with their kids. They could have a mess with addictions. Okay? You, can't, you cannot tell them, if you ask Jesus, all your mess will go away. You can't say that, right? You can't tell the alcoholic, you get saved and you'll never have any disease that comes from all your drinking. You can't say that. But you can give them this hope. You can change and you can reap good okay, in the future. Now, whatever that is, and sometimes as parents... Parents come and they say, you know, I need your help. Pat, you know, I heard you're at church. Can you help me out? We have a kid who's a wayward kid. Okay, what do we want to help them with? We may not be able to solve all the conflicts, but we can help them to change the relationship now. And hopefully, as it's changed, it'll produce good fruit in the future that would restore. Does it work every time? Not always. Not always because it's up to the other person how they respond. But the beauty is, can people, with the grace of God, and if they respond right, can they see lives turned around? Oh, yeah! Great changes that come. Now the Spirit of God is in them. They have that help. They need to be, they need to be planting new crop. For the person who's an addict, that planting new crop means that they have to get away from the stuff the people, and get closer to God, and they will reap the good benefits of that. So you have those, those lessons to share with them. So it brings us back to the idea of sanctification is critical. It is absolutely critical in our lives. You and I need to understand the difference between positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. Let me, let me close with this. Are you holy? Does God declare you holy? Okay, through the blood of Christ, are you declared holy? Then why does he say, be ye holy, for I am holy? You're already holy. We are holy positionally, but when it comes to practical outworking of it, is that our struggle? That's what we're going to talk about next. Okay, and everybody needs to understand this. You've got to get this down pat so that you can help others to understand they will struggle. They're declared holy, but they're still going to struggle. How do they overcome in that struggle? Let's pick up uh, next week right there. Thank you so much for listening.